welcome, I'm Ruth Frenger, founder of Conscious Leaders. This podcast aims to change the world of work one honest conversation at a time. And I hope you enjoy these conversations with proven people leaders running highly successful businesses. Hope you gain something from their philosophy and practice. Now I've learned so much coaching, facilitating and interviewing leaders that I needed to digest their top traits and behaviours into a book. So it's called Next Level Leadership, Nine Lessons from Conscious Leaders. It's published by Rethink Press and it's an Amazon bestseller. So order your copy, visit consciousleaders.org.uk forward slash book. You can also subscribe there to my bi-weekly newsletter where I share free content, including practical tools to support leaders to do their best work. This time we have Tim Williams on the podcast. He is CEO on Analytica. And they're a business of about 50 people. And Tim will explain how he pretty much rebuilt the company from the ground up. I started by asking him just how he got to where he is now. I started out in sales because I just didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. And actually, I always find this interesting about whether people just follow their parents with what they, they do, because it's not a coincidence that, that people end up with the same careers as their parents. My parents ran a needlework business. My dad was in sales. I wasn't really good at anything. I was quite good at a lot of things. And so I wasn't vocational. If I'd had my time again, I think I would have wanted to maybe be a doctor or a lawyer because I felt like I would have learned a bit more. But I just went through general business and I found myself at the end of my academic journey feeling like no career was for me. Mm. But sales is a way to just get into business. I didn't even know what business was. So I felt a bit lost in terms of where to start. I started at the very bottom rung of the ladder in sales and you know, made so many mistakes and just then found a bit of success and then just worked my way up the sales ladder and then sales director and then commercial director and then um, I, I, I joined Analytica and then the business was, was not doing so well so I took over the business when I talked to the investors and I ended up running it as my own startup. We were 35 people at the time. I, on day one, run a redundancy program to bring it down to seven people, and I've subsequently built it back up to nearly 50. So wow, that, in that's a, quite in a, a potted history. That's, yeah, so that's quite, um, talk to me a little bit about that whirlwind of, of coming in, you arrive, you're looking at what you've got, you've got to have some really tough conversations. What's that, what's that like? That was really tough. Uh, what got me through it was because I initially resigned because I didn't believe in the where the company was going and my morals were I want organizations to treat employees properly and I didn't think they were I thought it had amazing potential but I just didn't like where it was going so I said the existing employees weren't treating others well or and the, the company hierarchy wasn't treated the, the employees right I see. so as one of the employees I resigned and the investors came to speak to me and said Tim, we want you to stay, what would what would keep you? I said, well, if I ran it as my own startup, because I knew I could do a better job than them, even though I hadn't been a leader before running a company. And they said, okay. So from resigning one day to the next day, I started thinking about you know, what I would do. Mm. So all of these thoughts that I had that I was suggesting to the hierarchy at the time, we should be going this direction, this is what we should be doing, that were falling on deaf ears, I was now given the mandate, okay, go for it. Do we want? But step one of that was, hello, a lot of people, you know, sorry, we have to let you go. 
and to talk to them about how the future is is bright when a lot of them were feeling very very sad so that was obviously difficult but I was excited by the opportunity and actually I was probably too positive at the time because I didn't have the empathy I was trying to get a few of the people that I needed on board but I think I ruffled a few feathers and everyone was in a kind of mourning like we're going to part companies and you know life is over kind of thing but then you know I managed to get through that and obviously there were difficult conversations and a lot of anger at me but the people that there was seven of us that that started this journey together and I could then focus on them and make sure that they were looked after so it was a very difficult start mm. but it was less difficult than putting 100 grand or 150 grand into the business myself doing yourself yeah <laughs> yeah and I'm interested like what was it particularly that you didn't like when you came into that business and and you put in your resignation and and second part you know, links to what I usually ask people about their leadership philosophy. What is it you were trying to create? I think be quite specific if possible. Yeah, uh, what, I, what I didn't like was strategies which would end up hurting the employees. So, for example, going in a direction where it wouldn't lead to success and that would lead to 20 people leaving the company when they're good people who were relying upon the company to build their careers. Like, like what? Um, like... Um, at the time, the CEO had a new idea every single two weeks, and I didn't think he lived in reality. He was a great, what I would describe as a, a mad scientist that had lots of good inventions, but not commercially viable. So without the commercials, the company was burning money, and it was burning investors' money and it was also affecting the careers of the employees. And I just think in terms of good business principles, I just thought, that's wrong. You know, it's pulling the wool over the employees' eyes, it's not creating a happy environment. The investors, there was one investor, I think, that lost you know, half a million in, in a couple of weeks. It, it was just, just I didn't like it. Didn't want to be associated with that. And, and I thought I could get them a better return, so, and I fancy doing something by myself. I know how difficult it is to start a business. I don't have all the best ideas to invent something new. I've been at the pub with many a, many a friend talking about what businesses we would start, but it was always after a couple of pints. It wasn't actually something that we would, mm. we would follow through on. So I thought, here's my opportunity. And even though it was a difficult situation, I, and I had some resentment, towards the management I tried to change that perspective by being grateful for the opportunity because they failed I got that opportunity rather than thinking you know they were screwing over people mm. so this was really about the, the lack of, sort of commercial acumen that you that you found difficult. lack of commercial acumen and I think lack of care for em employees I think when it connects to my values I like to build teams I like to build people's careers I like to I like to build meaningful journeys and I, I didn't think it had any meaning. I think it was I think it was one person's vision that would just lead to the to the to the mire of other people. Mm. So more of like an egotistical 
sort of approach rather than yes. sort of driving meaning through the employees. And it, it, exactly, yeah. and I think we're connecting that to, to school. I, I think I was most happy in school when I was in team sports. You know, when I played rugby or football, I loved the team environment of all. You know, it didn't matter whether someone was good or bad or you were all in it together. And, and I loved doing that to help everyone, that kind of philosophy. Mm. And I think that spills over into business for me. Uh, you're running the company now, but also it, it, it went against my morals in the, in the previous entity. Mm. Yeah, and you talked, we had a pre-chat before this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you, you talked about a sense of togetherness being very much about what you stand for. Do you want to talk to that? And, and you also talked about meaningful journeys, which I thought was interesting in terms of people's career. Um, do you want to talk to that about how you make that really tangible and possible? Yeah, I, I, I like to foster a, an enjoyable environment. I know it might sound corny and lots of business results, but I want people to say, I really enjoyed my time here and you know, I learned a lot and we built something great. And those are the three things that, that I think I would love for people. I, you know, I always have the, the sort of end goal in sight, like I'm very sort of goal driven. Mm-hmm. Like an, I, I know what drives me and I know why I'm doing it. And so how I try and foster that is, I mean, there's small things like making sure we've got enough budgets for, for socials and giving people uh, a bit of time off and, and doing early finish on a Fridays, the last Friday of the month, having more sort of well-being days, like trying to, you know, there's, there's small stuff like that which make a difference. But there's also, I think, in the hiring policy, hiring people that, that are part of that culture, that, that would build connections and, I don't like to say family environment because I think that you know, your family is your family and business is definitely not your family, but I think some people have talked about it like an extended family and I see it more as just fostering real sort of trust and connections like you would in a family, but I, I think it's dangerous to use that term because you want that balance mm. of like cutting off from work. So I think other things that we're doing, um, we're trying to build just to, more... Just to pause there, because I feel like it's really important to acknowledge what you just said. So there's some things like you might finish early on a Friday at times, you also have wellbeing days, and you're thinking about hiring type of people who are also going to foster that togetherness and are not going to bring the egotistical style you saw previously. So they're going to be thinking about the group, the collective as exactly, well. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think when I hear that people are unhappy, maybe they've got too much work on or their balance isn't great or they're stressed or there's a problem, that's when I probably get affected the, the, the most because I feel responsible for the collective on that and I I tend to I can always trace it back to me uh, you know even if there's something happening I, I like I like the extreme accountability there's books um, on that I, I forget the exact um, author but I think the accountability is when there's some stress or people are unhappy there's always something that we can do to affect that and mm-hmm. quite often it's I come back to the business model. You know, have we not put enough budget towards something, or have we um, are we under resourced in certain teams? Because I can 
see how things pop up. So I'm always very cognizant of what I can do to help that because when I hear you know, my teams or the, or the managers um, who are very, very capable saying like, this is the problem, then I always look for the fundamental problem. Hmm. And sometimes I don't think they actually are bringing the fundamental problem. They're bringing all the manifestation of the problems which come up. So I, so I guess that everything that drives me is, um, maybe to my detriment, you know, uh, trying to say people please, because I think that's a positive for me, but I think that can also be a weakness where I don't want to disappoint. So if someone's unhappy with some situations, maybe I try and problem solve too much. But it, it's kind of what drives me. So I think that's... Mm. Sounds like Some a bit about your purpose and values there to, yeah. to help make an, a good environment for people. Yeah, but some some people have said to me, well, you, some people are never happy in their jobs, so you can't you can't please them. So I, I, I guess there's an unhealthy obsession that you can have with it. Um, but it mm. definitely it definitely shapes how we are set up as a business, how we try to how we try to act. Yeah, and it's, I'm sure you could argue this both ways. For me, it feels more healthy than unhealthy because I think what you're saying is if there's problems emerging, stresses, strains in the company, people are struggling, I'm reflecting inward first about the business processes first, about what we're doing to make that happen or what the root cause is, what this is really about, rather than saying, well, they just can't handle that or they need to, I don't know, manage their time better, which may be a cause, but it sounds like the first step is what can I do to help? Well, exactly, and you talked about time management, and so one specific example was actually me doing research on time management. So I spent you know, four hours trying to find the best articles out there and found some connected thinking, and you ran a training session with anyone that wanted to opt into that to give them a framework to manage their time better, because we've got a relatively young workforce and we're, and we're growing in a software environment, it's fast paced. And I think time management, people being overwhelmed, stresses are part, I don't think they've got the skills to necessarily deal with that. So that's how I tend to respond to things that I hear because I think my job is to listen and understand the needs of the employees and where things are going wrong and always trace it back to, can I do anything about it? Mm. I don't tend to be, uh, I've I worked for people who just delegate. If they hear a problem, like, I'm, I'm sure you'll sort it out. Like, I have full trust in you sorting it out, which to me was, I don't care about your problem. You know, Please don't bother me with that, because that sounds complicated. <laughs> and I'd like an easy life. I tend to go probably a bit more the other way. Mm. And you talked about the balance there, and if it can be negative. Is, is that negative for you sometimes? How does that play out? I think it's negative when I avoid conflict. Sometimes people think I'm quite direct and I have, I think when I, when I really struggled within the business a couple of years back, when I got some feedback that I was sort of critical and controlling, it would insinuate that I'm quite sort of direct and um, being quite confrontational. But actually, I tend to avoid conflict in my personal life. So I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was going on. Because if I'm not like that in my personal life, but I'm being given that feedback, but then I'm avoiding some conflict in business as well, like what is actually going on? Um, 
So I find that if there's a, a difficult conversation, then I do put it off more because I don't want to disappoint. But I'm conscious of that and I'm trying to work through it and say it's okay if at the end of that meeting they're going to be disappointed, as long as I feel like I'm acting in the best way. Mm. Coaching, as you may know, it has is a spectrum of like the most directive methods to the most non-directive, the most non-directive thing being silence exactly. <laughs> and witness. Yeah. Um, and then as we become slightly more directive, it might just be paraphrasing or summarising and then giving feedback, offering a hypothesis, all the way through to telling. And it's interesting how I've seen some leaders really oscillate really well in moments where the risk is lower, there's already really strong client buy-in, for example, and there's already a lot of capacity, there's a lot of autonomy given, and then when it's like, we could lose this this deal now, then having to, to better... Um, step in in a way that isn't like you're taking over and um, and you're really following a supporting role. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it feels a lot of it's based on trust, but I'd love to hear your kind of where you're at with it, how your thinking is live. Yeah, I, I definitely think I'm not getting that right at the moment. I tend to break down my involvement in three different areas or, or three different approaches. It's either I need this done, which I don't feel very comfortable with, same because it's the egotistical thing that I don't, it doesn't relate to my values. But sometimes it is what is needed. You know, we have to do this. I would like you to do this now because it's that important. The second being, I don't think we're succeeding in this area. Here's my proposal. I'd love to get your feedback and to understand so that we're, it's in a collaborative environment. And the third, which is, we need to find a solution for this. I would love to get your thoughts and so for the group to brainstorm. And I tend to check myself when I'm going to meetings to think, you, know, what am I actually saying? Because what I've said in the past is, you know, I would, I would suggest that we would, I suggest that this would be a good thing to do. And the feedback that I've got is, well, are you saying that this is what we have to do or this is your suggestion, because if they take a third of it and don't do the other two thirds, did I really mean I would like you to do this? Is that okay? Yeah. But then I'm also thinking I don't want to be that sort of critical and controlling person, so I, I still I still grapple with that. Mm. And and I think tracking back to why it's difficult for me is because a lot of it is quite emotionally draining with all the conversations you're in, and then you add the kind of early stage family and, and you can, you know, by 10 a.m. you can have had like five or six quite emotionally draining conversations and then you're in another meeting. And actually what I need is to be able to speak to other CEOs to say, hey, I've had this and, or to speak to someone like you to say, yeah, but that is your role because sometimes you just have to say, look, this is my role, this is, this is, why I'm here, I've got to make some tough calls sometimes. But you want to have that validation because sometimes if you, if you have struggling conversations with a client or with a staff member or with you know, the family or something, you can go to bed thinking, yeah, I don't feel like I'm achieving. Mm. But actually you could be making all the right calls and doing it in a very honorable way. And me and some other CEOs have just said how important it is to 
actually be able to rant. So we, <laughs> so because sometimes you just want to release and say this is what I happened, or or I feel that young people don't take feedback as well as I think that they should, which is what I've heard from a lot, lot of other leaders. There's obviously a lot to that particular sentence, but just hearing them say that makes me feel better. Sounds cathartic, yeah. Yeah, it is very cathartic. So I don't necessarily have a... I'm very resilient, but it's it's being able to have that release mechanism because it's relatively lonely, as a lot of people will tell you. Mm. Yeah, and back to your kind of approach of, like, when can I be really facilitatory and be like, we've got this problem, what should we do? Uh, versus like we let's do X. It it feels to me like the most progressive leaders out there are doing more of the former, doing more of the like we have this problem. What are we gonna do? I don't know. I don't have the answers. Um, even though it's less gratifying, I feel like it, it's quite gratifying to be like I've got an idea. Let's let's push it through in some way. Even though that's the other extreme, but but what it what it's doing, what it sounds like you're you're aiming for as well, is is you're creating an environment where other people's voices are heard and valued and taken on, even if it's actually a little off piste in terms of what you would do. It's owned, therefore, it's the the drive, the motivation becomes much more to deliver it, um, which is interesting because it is a re- it is a releasing of control from. Yeah. It, it, exactly, and and I'm someone that I don't think this is this is my baby. I'm not, I'm not precious about that. There are certain business KPIs we need to hit, and if it if I can't see how it's going to do that, then I do have this default into if we do these five things, mm. I think we can achieve it. And I'm in meetings, hoping to hear a way of getting to that. Mm. And I really struggle when. Uh, loads of meetings go really well so there's lots of really good but, but when I can't hear that and your time is precious and there's your 10 minutes left in the meeting I know that I've got a default to say look I don't think this is going to be successful how about these four or five things and I do think that that can be more like this is what I want hmm which doesn't empower them as much. So it sounds like what you're wanting is you're wanting them to take more responsibility of those um, five business KPIs in their um, own ideas, in their like... Yeah, and, and, this, yeah. and this is part of the, the, the KPI framework for mm. people to, to start thinking through that. I think it's just some people are really, really good at it and other people, I think the accountability is sometimes a bit of a dirty word for them. Uh, some people, or what I've done recently, which I don't even know whether it's a good thing or not, is is we we show the company how well we're doing as a business, but I've also started showing how well managers are performing and giving kudos to all the people who are doing well, and that's an important part of our culture. Um, but we're a a company that is is fast growing. Um, we're, we're just profitable in terms of our growth, you know, which is part of the board strategy, so I'm not giving away any sort of secrets, but there's not a lot of wiggle room to, to carry people who are not performing. And so, 
you know, I'm trying to share around the accountability mm. and for people to know that their KPIs link up to the business outcomes and that it all is it, it is one. Mm. Rather than this is what the business is doing, everyone's doing fantastically, well done. Because I think that it empowers people, but it also can seem like you're calling people out. And so I'm going through that phase at the moment, trying to do everything with the right intentions and trying to support people that are maybe underperforming, could be 85% when they need to be up to 100%, but not in a negative way, in a kind of like this is a team environment. Mm. But obviously with personal emotion, as soon as you praise a few people, then other people notice that and if you miss people out, mm. you know, so the, the kudos and the recognition and the accountability with a young a relatively young company I think is a is a work in progress at the moment. Mm. It's a really interesting topic actually. Um, something I actually watched a video yesterday about about relationships and about the value of thank you in a relationship because we can become a little tired in relationships and we don't notice when someone's filled the dishwasher or you know taking out the rubbish or whatever it is. Um, and one of the podcast guests actually had this thank you Friday um, call which was all about literally thanking someone else in the team, which I thought was a nice practice because it was just reinforcing that ability to be noticed. Like you said, some people get noticed and other people think, well, I'm not getting noticed. Um, So generally more of that going on in general, more gratitude. Um, The other thing is um, there's a fantastic author, facilitator called Nancy Klein, who says we should be thanking people five times the amount that we give them criticism or feedback. I remember when I first read that, I was like, boy, okay, I need to step up, you know, the, this personal life, professional life. And because it's almost like we, we build the equity for the feedback through the things that we're noticing. Uh, another podcast guest actually said that thank yous started as it wasn't habit and it seemed forced at first. But then after doing it a lot, it became more habitual. It became more because, yeah, we're, it's interesting, isn't it? A lot of people want to be seen. They want to be, they want to be noticed. I've heard that that you know four or five times you know positive feedback. You build up the trust, and then you can say, "Hey, look, the other day, this happened. I didn't think you were at your best. Could you work on that?" And you know it's accepted because it's not the only negative or constructive feedback that they've heard. And yeah, I think sometimes it's just hard to find the time because. Because there's just loads of people. Like if I right. see something that is, you know, out of sync with our messaging or something, um, I might not have dealt with that person. Um, yeah, so you may not have had the chance. But I wonder. I've spoken to that person yeah. over the past few weeks, so it. So yeah, it, it, it's a difficult one, but I, I definitely am conscious of that. One thing that I'm doing. Much more is to give feedback through managers through fewer people rather than direct to their managers. So building up more of a hierarchical structure at the company has helped me convey things to fewer people so that they can translate it at the right time, hmm. which yeah. I think is a, is an important challenge. Yeah, and like you say, timing, trust is so important when we're landing feedback. It was a nice little, um, when I'm delivering coaching training for leaders, we talk about like spot contracting, like, oh, I have a bit of feedback for you, is now a good time? 
I'd, oh, now I know some feedback is coming. Okay, now I've, I've noticed that you seemed underconfident in that meeting. Are you okay? You know, whatever it is. Um, and, and, then, and, then, and then listening and then being like, allowing the person to, to speak or whatever it is. Um, but trust timing being so important. And if you're not seeing them day to day, then it sounds like that's a great conduit to, to leave it to the people that are more in touch regularly. Yeah, exactly. And I think over the, whether we were seven people, 10, you know, 15, 20, you were all in it together, everyone was office-based, and now we're 50, it's, it's you know, you, I don't meet all the people at the last okay. stage interview. I mean, I tried to, but there's a few people that just start, and you know, obviously it, we're, we're growing. Mm. So less and less is that appropriate, that mm. you know, it's about coaching the manager. So that's been more of a discipline thing to... Uh, to focus on it, and it makes my life easier because it it improves my well-being because you're not speaking to as many people because it's not as many people to manage. Yeah, because I mean, the emotional drain I think that some of these has on on leaders is is big. Uh, I talk about emotion availability quite a lot in the Next Level Leadership book. The amount of time and energy that we we pour into other people. What, what I really like about you, Tim, is that you are very open and honest. And I think I, yeah, it's. It feels, it feels like I'm, you know, we've we've only had a couple of calls, but I feel like I'm really getting to know you, which is nice. Um, and the reason we had this, um, this interview is because I saw a post you did on LinkedIn, um, and it was you being open with, you know, your network, and so I'm just going to read it because I'd, I'd love to hear like your comments on where you're at because this was about a month ago. So it says, I don't mind admitting that 2022 was a struggle for me. I found the 24-7 nature of running a business, remote working, and looking after my two young kids without any personal time draining. Don't get me wrong, I love Analytical and I love my family, but sometimes it felt like too much. As a business leader and a people pleaser by nature, I did not create the right boundaries for myself, and I could feel myself not doing my best work. And then you go on to talk about some tips that, are, that have really helped you. Yeah, what, one month on, how, how did it feel being that open with your network, landing that message, for me it was powerful, but tell me how it was. Yeah, it, uh, I, I wanted to do, following the mental health post, which I felt was authentic, I thought, okay, well this, this is authentic, so I'm gonna do it, and actually it, it got a, a really, really positive reaction from employees, from your friends that would never, ever comment or, or bring it up, from, advice from people in, that I haven't spoken to in a, in a while and actually direct messages and, and far more far more people getting in touch than I ever would imagine. I mean, I'm talking, you know, three or four hundred, but I didn't have any expectations. I wanted to kind of just open up and make it... If you tell people something, then it means that you're almost going to do something about it. Like if you say, I'm going to give up smoking, <laughs> you're then held more accountable. So I wanted to do that. I wanted to also show people that it's all right to talk about that. And yeah, so I feel much better from having done it. I'm going down to a four-day week. What I felt was with the... Because I'm very hands-on with the childcare, so my partner does all of this of you know, cooking and all of the you know, um, ordering of all the stuff that kids need, and you know, she does that, and I tend to most of this of physical childcare you know, when we're when we're at home so it's 
it's all of that plus running a business plus trying to come up to London and sort of commuting and rushing back, always running for trains and sort of coming back and, and then working late evenings because of the US as well and then at weekends being full on and I just thought, hang on a second, I just want three to four hours for myself, even for a Friday morning, where I can just have some space for and not required in meetings. I like to play some tennis, I like to go for runs or I like to be outdoors and do some sports. So just to have a bit of a breather is is what I was looking for. And I'm slowly but surely achieving it. But, you know, there's everyone looking for child, cheap um, childcare is, uh, well, probably not what I'm talking about, <laughs> um, but I haven't quite got the balance right there. So sometimes it's just looking after the kids. But even with that, it's different. It feels... It feels like a different day. So I'm not there yet, but I just wanted to call it out and do something about it. And yeah, very, very sweet messages. A lot of people who have just been working, you know, burning the midnight all have said actually a very pertinent message. I think I can relate to that. And what I feel is that the number one thing I hear from people is that they're overwhelmed, which I track back down to lack of transitions, hybrid working, more and more things happening, economic situation constantly. There's a perfect storm of everything happening. And I think people just can't control their lives in the way that they want to. And so I felt it was something that everyone can relate to. And I'm just at the start of trying to achieve that a bit more. Mm. So it was just a conversation starter. I wanted to think through the solution because I'm very solution-orientated. I wanted to try and stick to that. And what, I mean, this is kind of almost like rounding up our conversation, really, because I think it's a really, it will be where many people are at and many people in your situation will not be sharing in that way, but will be quietly thinking, I'm on the edge and what do I do? You mentioned the carving out some time on a Friday for you and the sport. Is there anything else you'd say to to people in, in your kind of situation that you think helps? I think I think it always comes down to where do you want to spend your time? And I think the problem is not creating the time boundaries. I think people just start things and they take as long as as they take and I think being very intentional about these are the things which are most important to me because they're linked to my happiness and being disciplined about okay so this is the time that I'm going to ring fence for that and to try and have that as a framework because otherwise you've just got this massive task list and you can never feel like you're succeeding and gone are the days where you would leave everything at work and you wouldn't be able to to do something at home. So I think it's all about boundaries and ring fencing and and being aware of what's going on. And so we're going to be doing a well-being day for the company and like working out a framework for well-being. I want to do some work around ring fencing people's time management and how they deal with more and more things coming in so that they're the happiest versions of themselves.
And, and I think everyone's got their own personal version of that. And I just wanted to share mine. Tim, thank you so much for sharing your live thoughts and journey. I really feel like Tim let us in. He really gave us an insight into his conscious live thought processes, which is really useful. Well, you've been listening to the Conscious Leaders podcast, and I'm Ruth Ferenga. I want to facilitate honest conversations with great people leaders so you can learn from their highs and lows and for their philosophy and practice. For free practical advice on how to build a calm, collaborative and productive workplace, as well as info on my number one best-selling book, Next Level Leadership, visit consciousleaders.org.uk.